love you and thank you that you called us to be here together today. To learn of you, to love you, to care for you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Man, we're uh, a people of a testimony, and the testimony of Jesus is alive in us, just as Meredith shared testimony as she was baptized today, and we had a women's conference this weekend, yes, enjoy it, women, uh, and uh, I want to ask Kenna to come forward, and she's going to share with us what uh, God spoke to her. What God did in her heart at the women's conference. So let's uh, let's take a listen. Holy Spirit of God, that you are ample supply for everything that is needed, Lord. You know every heart, you know every mind, you know every person's will, Lord, you know everyone. And so now I'm asking you to have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray, amen. Amen. Anybody enjoying a little bit of the warmer weather? Woo! A little warmer, you know, you're in Boston, and warmer is 59, 60 degrees. I just want to encourage you today that uh, off of the uh, word that Mary shared before she was baptized, God has been pursuing you every day of your life. 
you may or may not have been pursuing him, but he's been pursuing you. And I want us to uh, just remember that today. So we're here, and you may or may not find yourself uh, excited, motivated for God today. I don't know where you are, but I can tell you that your motivation, your excitement for God will continue to increase as you realize his pursuit of you. Is his desire for you. How do you learn to love God more? You have an understanding that he has loved you from the very foundation of the world. He made you, created you. How do you pursue God more? You understand by more revelation that Jesus Christ went to a cross. He pursued you to the place that he allowed men to, to, uh, to crucify him, to beat him, to bruise him for your sake. He pursued you, therefore you can pursue him. He loves you, therefore you can love him. And he is making a way for you where there is no way. I do feel that for a few people in the room today. You say, but you don't know my situation. My way is impossible and my way seems very unlikely. And I want to encourage you today that his way is the way through. The same way through the Red Sea that he took Moses through. It's the same way through the Jordan that he took Elisha through. It's the same way through the wilderness that he led his children through. God will make a way for you where there is no other way. I want to give you this one scripture and turn to our new series. 2 Samuel in verse four, chapter 14 and verse 14 says this. God does not take away life, but instead he devises ways so that the banished person may not be estranged from him. I encourage you today that God is devising a way for your life where it seems impossible. God is making a way where there is no way. Are you thankful for that today? Are you thankful today that God has pursued you to even this place today? That he has you here for a purpose and it's not just to count down the minutes of the service. He wants to meet you here, to change you here, and to let you be a change agent for him throughout the world. My name is Jeff Bianchi. I'm the lead pastor here at Community of Faith. What a joy and privilege it is to be with you today. I got to see some of you this weekend at a wonderful uh, wedding for Eric Macarello and uh, for Robin Cruselis. They are married. They are happy. And we are happy for them. There have been many marriages that have come forward. Um, but I love the family that God's given us here at Community of Faith. And I welcome you into it. If this is your first time here or if you've been here a number of times, welcome to the family. We're in the first week now of a new series called Rebuilding the Wall. We're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to see through the book of Nehemiah uh, uh, several things. I want to say this, uh, pay attention, because there will be an exam at the end of this, uh, not day, but at the end of this series. Not really an exam, but there will be an opportunity for you to testify. It will be an opportunity for you to share what God has done in your life. Easter kind of disrupted our testimonies after our series that we've begun. But uh, we are going to be sharing, taking one day uh, or one particular Sunday after each series and sharing what God spoke to us, how we responded to God in that and how he changed our lives. So uh, the good thing is that we're not just speaking here to give you information, but we're speaking so that you might have transformation. That your life would never ever be the same again. So uh, we're going to be having uh, five weeks here of this series. 
We're going to be looking, uh, our six weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 through chapter 6. And we are going to, uh, after that, have an opportunity for you to share what God's spoken with you. Is that good with you today? All right. When we talk about rebuilding the walls, we need to understand that the walls of our city and the walls of our nation have fallen down spiritually. They have fallen down. Many times when we discuss walls, we're talking about walls in the spiritual life. And as Christians, we share back and forth with each other. Walls are a bad thing, right? Walls represent division between man and God. Jesus broke the walls so that we could get to Him, or uh, so that we have access to God. The walls of bitterness, unforgiveness, all of that between people. And there may be walls in our own personal lives of secrecy where we keep things. We live one life before people, but we're hiding something that we're ashamed of in another way. And in that sense, walls are not a good thing. We're into tearing down walls. The walls between God and man, the walls between mankind, uh, uh, man is a certain mankind, and uh, each, each other. We want to tear down those walls. But those are not the walls I'm talking about today. As I mentioned, rebuilding the walls. Um, we're talking... Um, about protection and provision from a city and from a nation uh, with God. The walls, we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're, we are talking about a people and building the walls and being a people whose identity is a nation under God. A people, a city, you could say, Boston, representing the very cradle of our nation. That we are a people that love and honor God. Our nation was founded on a relationship with God. It was founded on a commitment to Christian values, to the values that, uh, that God was our creator, Jesus Christ is our savior, and that we have a relationship with him. And our, our nation was founded not by uh, 100% of the people being Christians, but by leaders in our nation and by the, the general consensus that God is God, man is sinful, Jesus Christ died for mankind, we have new life. And George Washington, anybody out there heard of George Washington? Yes. Well, the first president and founder of our nation said this, and this gives you just a little taste of the viewpoint of our leadership and the foundation of our nation upon God. George Washington said this, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of a patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a Christian. You see, if there ever was a patriot for the purposes of the United States of America, it was George Washington. He established uh, our nation. He was used as an instrument of God to establish. You know, if George Washington had been alive in 1980 uh, when uh, the USA hockey team was playing the USSR um, in, the, uh, in the match, preceding the gold medal match, George Washington would have said, USA, USA. He would have been into it all the way. If you don't believe that, then you don't have to. But the reality is George Washington was a patriot. George Washington believed in this nation and that God had a destiny for this nation. And so much of a destiny that Massachusetts was founded in order to win and to incite the people that the, the 
the native people of this land to win them to Jesus Christ. Now, it didn't always happen as well uh, as it, it should or not, but there, there was a commitment in this nation to being established in Jesus. There was a commitment in Boston for, uh, the name, for uh, it to be given over to Jesus uh, for His glory and His purposes. Even here in Oak Square. Anybody been to Oak Square in Brighton? Brighton Oak Square is a place where John Elliott, the missionary to the Indians, who, who uh, even founded the city of Natick, which used to be called a praying town, Indians, uh, they he brought a group uh, together who received Jesus calling a praying town. And I pray that that would come back to Natick. But so many were here winning and, and, and going for purposes. But who is responsible for the broken down walls in our nation? I think we may be, uh, have been founded as a Christian nation, but in so many ways, the walls have come down. Well, I would submit this, that the church, the people of Jesus Christ, are responsible for the broken down walls. For the fact that when I say walls, the broken down walls meaning that our people is no longer, our people, our nation is no longer identified as one nation under God through Jesus Christ. Not identified that way as much anymore. There are portions of it, but not the vast majority. When the church ceases to be a standard bearer, the nation goes the natural way of all the earth. It goes into depravity and goes into degradation. And the way our society will be changed is not for a political movement. I'm, I'm okay with politics. I'm thankful that George Washington was a believer in Jesus Christ, that Abraham Lincoln, many of our founders, and uh, even uh, some of our uh, recent presidents have had faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm thankful for Christians in the political realm. And if you're studying for that at the JFK school or wherever you may be in this city, that's one. But our nation will not be transformed. The walls of our nation as an identity of a people under God will not be transformed through political maneuver. But through a church of people who are broken and repentant before God, who say we hold responsibility as the church, that because we have not led well in our nation, our nation has gotten off the mornings of knowing the one and only true God. We, I'm not here today to give you a guilt trip, and we'll talk about that later, but I am here today to say the responsibility is not that uh, vile person out there. <laughs> the responsibility rests with us in here to be the light and the witness of God to our nation. You know, through a church, as we return wholeheartedly to God and we embrace our role as a leader in our society, not just fulfilling leadership positions, yes, but the church being the one that directs the affairs of our nation. The church, when the church in fasting and prayer and seeking of God says, we will go this way, and doesn't fight and wrangle with man in some political forum, but, but fights in the heavenly realms with the spirits of darkness and says, we will go this way, then the nation will follow us. The nation will follow us. Absolutely. The question I have for us today is, do we want to see the walls rebuilt in our nation? Do we want to become a people known again as an identity of a people who know God, who trust Him, and who love liberty 
and grace. That every nation and every person can be in this nation. But that our nation is founded and will continue under God. In Nehemiah, what we're going to see. Today we're talking about broken down walls. But in Nehemiah, what we're going to see are um, actions that the church, that us as a people can take in order to see the walls rebuilt. In order to usher in the presence of God more so in our city and ultimately in our nation. And we're going to see how to uh, build walls of protection and provision for many. Without spiritual walls, there can be worship of God. Without spiritual walls in our city, there can be worship of God. There are many worships of God out here in the congregation. But without spiritual walls, there won't be a safe place for a nation to reside uh, under the blessing and the, and the good graces of our God. Individuals can worship God, but that's not only our goal. Our goal is not just for individuals to worship God, but for a nation fall before God and say, we are yours, God. Oh, the United States has always been even founded as a leader among nations, not the best nation. God doesn't look at things the way man looks at them, not a superior nation to every other nation. I believe America is the best nation in the world because I was born here, right? But in the sense, not a superior nation to the other nations, but a nation that is a special gift of leadership. No, I look forward to seeing us again. Take a turn to God. We're going to observe the actions of prayer, of unity, of spiritual warfare, and of generosity that are going to enable the church in our day and in our city and nation to become spiritually vibrant and whole again. Do you want that? Do you desire that in our nation and in our city? You know, when I was in Xi'an, China in 1996, I got to see an actual wall. A wall. You want to talk about a wall, I'm not talking about some two by four. I was in Xi'an. Anybody ever been there? I spoke about the terracotta soldiers. If you go to a Chinese food restaurant, you're probably going to see one of them standing in the corner uh, that were founded in Xi'an. But anyways, I was in Xi'an. I lived there for 10 weeks, 10 and a half weeks, getting familiar with the Chinese people and Chinese food, which I like. But one of the things that I got to see that was really interesting and, and informative in regards to this study we're doing in Nehemiah was an actual city wall. And this wall of Xi'an was huge, not at all unsimilar to this right here. As we look here at rebuilding the walls, this uh, very well could be the Great Wall, but this is a wall that, uh, that went around the city on all four sides. It was a huge, huge structure that you walked up to and you just, you know, you looked up at it. And then when you got on top of it, you could, you could walk on there. People were riding bikes on there. Uh, everything was going on along the top of the wall. And with the team that I was there with in the, the mid-90s, we used to walk along this wall, and we would pray for the city. And we would pray over God's purposes for the nation of China and God's purposes in the city of Xi'an. And um, the, the thing that simply was amazing to me was the formidable structure that a wall of this type was. But, you know, another thing that uh, we saw, uh, although the city was much, much larger than what was contained in the wall, it did just spread out. Um, you could see how the structure was key. It was very key to the protection of Xi'an as an ancient city. 
There's very much to do with that. And I just uh, want to mention a couple of things to you. First of all, the wall had a high vantage point. It was way up there. And even the towers that were built along the wall were higher vantage points. And what was one of the main purposes for that? Right? They didn't make a wall two feet. They didn't make a wall the size of what I'm on. They made a wall high. So one of those was so that they could see the enemy coming from miles and miles away. When they were on the plane <laughs> coming their way, she, the, the, the watchman for Xi'an could see who was coming. And they were able to spot the enemy. And they were able to give a warning in time for people to be ready to be defended from the marauders. Second, the wall, again, as we know, prevented anyone unwelcome from entering. Right? These walls were, had gates on them that were huge and they were closed to the approach of the enemy. And if you didn't um, prove yourself to be worthy, you were not going to get into that city uh, in any way, shape, or form. No one could come into that city unidentified. It's very interesting. That no one could just wander into that city as it had its existing walls. And the last thing is that weapons could be hurled down from that wall on invaders, right? If I were in a fight, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy down here, you know, looking up at uh, the weapon of your choice, whatever it might be. <clears throat> but walls, uh, weapons could be, uh, you know, huge stone throwers or spears or whatever else could be, could be thrown. And uh, the wall had so much to do with the identity of the city, and it had to do with protection and provision of this city. I want you to get an idea when we talk about these walls, we're talking about God's protection, God's provision, and the identity of God's people as one under Him. Oh, my heart cries out that we, again, in the United States of America, would be known as a nation under God. Under God. Oh, I want our identity to be that. I don't just want my identity in Jesus Christ to be known. I'm thankful. And I want the churches to be known, but I want our nation to be known that way. So let God inspire your heart. This week, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to discuss the broken down walls. Um, let me give you a little bit of background on Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in chapter 1, as we enter into chapter 1, uh, the people of Judah, which represents, the people of Judah represent the church in our day, they've been exiled. They've been thrown out of their city of Jerusalem and the surrounding towns for 70 years. And they were under the command, initially, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I told you this before, I played Nebuchadnezzar in a play as a little child. I had a cotton ball beard and, you know, all of this. And my mom rude the day that I played Nebuchadnezzar because I came home as a 10-year-old uh, going nuts around the house and demanding my breakfast and uh, all of those things. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar the, uh, was, a, was a, a bit of a megalomaniac, you could say. And, but they were originally taken over by him, and a series of kingdoms had ruled Israel. Now, why was Israel, uh, why was Judah in this particular case, taken over? Because they had disobeyed God's laws. They had ceased to make the laws, and when God had spoken to them, they ceased to, to have it directly influencing their lives. You see, God speaks His word and gives us His command, not in order to oppress us, do you know that God doesn't have a desire to oppress you today? He has a desire to liberate you today. But God put 
the nation of Israel, the people of Judah. He put them under his protection through his word, but they systematically just began throwing off those laws. They began throwing off. You shall have no other God before me. I'm going to take the gods of the Canaanites. I'm going to take the gods of the Jebusites. I'm going to take the God of the Ammonites. I'm going to take Baal. I'm going to start sacrificing my children or making them pass through the fire and worship the other gods. You see, they began throwing off God's ways. And they began entering into a bondage that they'd never known before that time. So God uh, uh, had told His people, put Him under His protection. Through his laws. But they had thrown it off. And he didn't warn them just once or twice. Prophet after prophet after prophet. Came to them. Isaiah. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Daniel. Well, he was already there. Let's go on from here though. He was actually in exile. But there were a number of prophets who were commanding uh, them to turn back to God. And they refused. So they're currently in Babylon under the dominion of the Persian Empire. The empires have changed. But the opportunity to worship had already been reestablished. We have an opportunity in our nation to worship God. We have an opportunity. You're gathered here today to worship God with all your heart, hopefully. And uh, that's a joy. That's a privilege in our nation that we have. The same had happened 25 or so years earlier. Ezra had gone back from these people in exile, and he rebuilt the temple. So I want you to know this. The temple was existing in Jerusalem at that time. So the opportunity for worship was there, but the disgrace was still upon the people. And that's what we're talking about today. We have an opportunity to worship God freely with whole hearts. Praise Him for that. But God is not satisfied with a few of us worshiping Him. He wants a nation. He wants a city. He wants us under Him. His goodness, His grace, and His love. So, there was an opportunity to worship. As I said earlier, the temple speaks of worship. And the opportunity for individuals to worship was available in the rebuilding of the temple. But until the wall was rebuilt, the society was not going to be able to prosper under God's guidance and His protection. And that's what He desired. Now, the next thing, before I move on, I know there's a lot of up today. That is interesting for us to know, and I want you to pay attention out there because this has more to do with you than it has to do with me. More to do with you than it has to do with Mark Buckner or John Clark. <clears throat> Nehemiah was a layman. He was not a priest. Nehemiah was a layman. He was a cupbearer to the king. But you see, in order for these walls to be rebuilt, it's not just going to happen through a bunch of priests. It's going to happen through you guys. You guys are the part of seeing our society transform and rebuild. Nehemiah, a cupbearer to the king, was used by God highly to influence as we spoke out of our uh, Becoming a People of Influence passage earlier. So let's start reading in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says here, The words of Nehemiah, son of Akla, in the month of Kislev, the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The reality here is that we must see things as they really are. If we are really going to see the walls rebuilt in our city of Boston and the walls rebuilt in our nation, we have to take a long, hard look at how things really, really are. See, these guys gave uh, a, a true report to, uh, to Nehemiah when he asked them for it. They didn't butter it up. They didn't say, the temple's rebuilt. Woo! Now they said, the people are in disgrace. We're, we're in disgrace. This place is it's, it's destroyed. And in reality, until we see things as they really are, we won't desire change. Catherine Booth said, the wife of, of uh, 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 General Booth, who started the Salvation Army, she said, if we want to see the, ch- the future change, we must disturb the present. And we don't desire to disturb the present if we just think everything is okay. If we just think living our lives and kind of making it through uh, is okay. But God has something good for you. Um, <clears throat> So they couldn't live in peace because they were open to every single danger that came in to them. There was, the walls were down. There was no huge wall. They couldn't see marauders coming. They couldn't defend marauders. And they couldn't throw their weapons. In this sense, their identity was taken away from them as a people. They were not under that uh, understanding. But we as a city and nation are destitute spiritually due to our disobedience to God. Now, I think you know me well enough to know I'm an encourager. That's how I'm gifted. I'm not here to beat you over the head. That's the last thing I am. Jesus came that you may have life and life in all its fullness. But today we have to see that we have been in the greatest disobedience to our God who gave us this nation, who gave us the city of Boston founded in 1630. We're subject as any city of Boston here. And of any nation, of going the way of great nations of the past. Decline, moral decay, and ultimately destruction. Do I say this because I don't like our nation? Or don't like this city? No, it's the exact opposite. I say it because I love our nation. Because I love our city. I want to just mention a few things to you to give you a revelation to the walls. When we in the city of Boston say that killing innocent children is okay, our walls are broken down. When we in the city of Boston say that marriage can be defined in whatever way we choose, regardless of God's intent for marriage and His ultimate purpose for it, the walls have broken down. When we in the city of Boston say that sexual promiscuity and drunkenness and taking of the name of God in vain is a normal expression of being a human, the walls have broken down. They are broken. No question. No doubt. It breaks my heart just as the walls are broken. And it should break yours too. That in front of Almighty God, we have the blood of innocent children on our hands. We'd rather save the whales than save innocent children. We'd rather save the climate than save innocent children. Good for the whales. 
Save every one of them that can. Save every bit of the client. I don't care where you fall politically. That's not the issue today. What I'm talking about is when the blood of innocent children are on our hands, the walls have fallen down. Let's continue in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. When I heard these things, Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servants praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We, as the church, must not be self-righteous. We must be sorrowful. We must be sorrowful. Must we live in sorrow our entire lives? No, but we must be sorrowful over the condition of our nation. Do you realize, do I realize how far we have fallen? Not how far the liberals have fallen. Not how far the neocons have fallen. Not how far the, the pagans have fallen. Not how far the this type of group or that type of group. We have fallen. But my message today is that we don't fall down the cover. Because he can lift us up again. I'm not a USA hater. I love USA. We're all over I'm proud of Proud to be an American, or at least I'm But that freedom will not remain. In whatever ways we say, if we don't come to some serious understandings. Fasting and prayer speaks of repentance. Nehemiah himself was a righteous man. He was righteous. You've got to understand this. Nehemiah was a righteous man. But he didn't separate himself from his country and from those doing vile things. He said, God, it's not them doing it. It's me. It's us. We have sinned. We have fallen short. If there's blood on hands, it's on our hands. We as a church have been too weak and paltry in our faith and our belief. And as a result, our city has fallen. Our city has fallen. And he said, well, Boston's strong. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I believe Boston is strong. Man, there's nothing more I want than Boston to be strong. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our, one of our stated objectives at Community of Faith is to bring about societal transformation. We believe as a church that we are together with the rest of the body of Christ going to see our, our city of Boston return to its roots. And for marriages to be restored, sexual abuse to be eliminated, the mind used properly as it was created, to think high thoughts of God, to see Him as the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But we will not stop, uh, we will not see societal transformation until we stop cherishing wickedness in our own hearts or on the other side of the coin. Uh, coin. 
we stop judging our city for its wickedness. We are called by God to identify with our city and the sin and confess our sin as a city. Whether you have been here a day or a lifetime, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're called to seek peace and the prosperity of this city right here and of this nation. Do I want Boston's destruction? Do I want USA's destruction? No. I have great high hopes. But we have to come to grips with where we are today. Let's finish here with Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. We are responsible uh, uh, for the walls have fallen down and we need to understand that we as a people are responsible for that. We as a church are with our, our, uh, our city and our, our nation in that. But here's the good news for you right here. Is that we as the church must and are the only ones that can carry hope. We have great hope. Man, I have such hope for our city. I have so much hope for our nation. I'm not hopeless in the spirit. Nehemiah was dead honest in his repentance and his sorrow for the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel. He saw clearly that the walls were broken down. He didn't make an excuse about it. He didn't try to make it seem like everything was going okay. But he said this. He said, Lord, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far anything's gone, it's never too late. No matter how far away your people have been scattered, if we turn to you, you're coming back and bring us back into your arms of great love and great joy and great peace. I do not believe World War III has to fall upon the United States for us to return to him. I believe we just need to return to him. And he will transform our lives. And he will transform our nation. And how many great things can be averted? That are not of God do that. Nehemiah was a man of vision for the future. He recalled God's promises for his nation. And I want to recall those. That our nation is not ordained to be destroyed. Our nation is ordained. And our city of Boston is ordained to be a light to the nations. Do you take hold of that today? I want to just say this. God knew that his, uh, those, uh, Nehemiah knew that as bad as things were, God would respond to his people who called out to him. And he would come and bring mercy. Aren't you thankful that our God wants to bring mercy? Why did God send the prophets again and again and again? And the folks got mad at him. You know, all the Israelites and, and people of Judah. They were like, you're bad. You keep telling us bad things are going to happen. <laughs> we want to listen to those who tell us it's going to be good. And, and they were like, no, we're telling you so that God can relent of what is coming. And bring grace and mercy. The most loving thing to do is to see things honestly. And then to take the responsibility. And then begin to pray that way. But I want to make one last illustration. And then I want us to respond. And what I want us to do today is just respond in prayer. With sorrow for the sin in our, in our city. With sorrow for the sin in our own lives. And in our nation. But then I want us to turn it to great hope and joy. That God's going to do something in our city that is going to amaze the world. You know, I'm a city of Boston. I love Boston. Don't you talk ill of Boston to me. And don't talk ill of U.S. to me. I love USA. I'm a member. I'm <laughs> a member. I'm a member. <laughs> Whatever you want to call me. We've seen a lot of trial over this last year, haven't we? We've seen a lot of trial. 
And I'm so proud of so many that have taken steps to, to walk in resilience, you know, with the marathon bombings and everybody hunkered down for a week. And then with the loss of two very, very uh, heroes uh, in the fire uh, who I know Meredith knows personally, one of them, Ed, she, she knew Ed Walsh, sorry, uh, one of the two uh, uh, firemen. So, yes. We have seen so much hard stuff, and there's been a slogan that's come out, right? I mentioned it earlier. What is it? Boston strong. I want more Boston strong. I want Boston to be strong. That's my will and my desire. But I'm not satisfied until there's a new slogan on our shirt in addition to it. Boston strong in the Lord. Because my question is, what are we going to be strong in? Because if we're strong in ourselves, it will only last for a short time. If we're strong in the Lord, it will have ramifications for every nation on earth. And Lord, I, I'm just believing in faith that we will be Boston strong in the Lord. Where are the Boston strong? I'm believing for it. I'm, I'm great with it. I'll wear it. But I'm saying what true desire of my heart is that we will be strong in the Lord in every way. Let's stand. I just want to say this again today. Today is not about condemnation, but today is about seeing things as they really are. Seeing the brokenness in our city and our nation. Us identifying with what God has told us to do and to pray for our city. And then us to have great hope that something wonderful is going to happen. Over the next few weeks, you're going to get a lot of practice on how we can see this societal transformation the glory and for the praise of God. I just want to ask you to pray right now. Right where you are, I'm going to ask you even to get into twos and threes and just begin to pray right now for our city. Just begin to repent. There may be something in our city you notice is not right. You say, this is not right in the seven years city. I want you to pray for that in groups of two, three, four, five, however many. And we're going to call out to God. And He is going to see our city transformed for His glory.